All right, bonus points this morning. Who can tell me who sung that song? Spinners, I heard it. Ah, the spinners, I love that song. All right, let me ask you a real question, though, to get us started, to kind of get us engaged this morning. How many of you like to play board games? Let me see your hands. Oh, yeah. All right, shout out some of them. What do you guys like to play? Checkers, Checkers Monopoly, Scrabble, Battleship. Hey, you guys in DeBerry and Robinson got to speak up. I can't hear you. Cash flow. Cash, what? Cash flow? That sounds like a personal problem. No. Oh. Oh, I know for me, that in, 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 in my childhood, one of the fondest memories I had was being at my grandmother's, and she loved to play Chinese checkers. You guys play Chinese checkers? Chinese checkers and Scrabble. Now, my grandmother wasn't educated, but she was well-read, and somehow my nine-year-old brother and I, a million year older than him, we ended up winning. I think that was part of her plan. And I loved Monopoly. Just loved grinding people into the dirt, <laughs> taking their property, kicking them out of the game. Oh, favorite games, right? They're just a part of our lives as family and laughter and fun. That is until a game ruins your family vacation. Anyone been there? <laughs> yeah, real deal, right? The struggle, the struggle was real. What we want to do, though, is we want to take this time together over these next five weeks and, and, and look at some games. We've chosen five. And, and what we want to do is kind of look at the, the rules, the strategies, the way we interact with each other during those games, and to see how these things that we do in these games can kind of bleed into our lives in real life. And how uh, we interact with each other, how it interrupts relationships at times, how it interferes with our relationship with God, how it can stand in the way. So what we want to do is we're going to look into Scripture to see what it has to say. And we're going to pick uh, five games we're going to do. We're going to do Jenga today, Hungry Hippo, I didn't hear anyone yell that one out, <laughs> Battleship the game of chess. Now for you youngins, we're gonna do Fortnite on Labor Day. And the reason I chose Fortnite was, get this, 125 million users across the globe. And it's actually the number one question that I get as a dad of a 13 year old, do I let my son play it? So we're going to use kind of the context of these games to look into Scripture to see if we can find a clue <laughs> so we don't take any necessary risk to keep ourselves out of trouble in the real game of life. Oh, that was bad, huh? <laughs> Sorry, yeah. You know what, let, let us pray to get us back on track. Dear Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. Uh, we just ask you to, to settle our hearts and, and uh, to give us this time to focus on you, to wipe away the rest of the weekend and the week that's coming ahead, the coming of school and all the things going on in our lives is center on your word this morning. Speak to our hearts. Father, we love you and we thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen. 
You take a block from the bottom and you put it on top. You take a block from the middle and you put it on top. That's how you build a tower, you just don't stop. You gotta build that tower putting blocks on top. And it teeters and it totters as you build it all up. It weebles and it wobbles, but you don't give up. You take a block from the bottom and you put it on top. You take a block from the middle and you put it on top. Till someone knocks it over and that's when you stop. But you start all over putting blocks on top. Jenga from Irwin. That's it. The instruction manual is probably about four lines. Right? This is a, a, a game of Jenga. It's not a sanctioned version. This is actually a version that's off of Ron Moore's front porch. His son Garrison made it, and it's a lot of work because you've got to sand them all smooth so they slide, otherwise they stick. But it's a, it's a tower-building game. The object is to, to take out a block and to put it up on top to make the tower higher. The loser of the game is the one who makes the tower fall over in their attempts to make it taller. The winner is the last one to successfully move a piece and put it on top without the tower falling over. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Now we've chosen this game because I think if we're honest, we all have the capacity because of a prideful heart to build towers out of our lives. That we can take and have the ability to take our professional successes, our promotions, our job titles, and stack them up, our educational accomplishments and stack them up. Some of us even in our faith journey, the Bible studies that we have done and gone through, the amount of year, days we've read the Bible in a row, and we stack these accomplishments one on top of another, building a tower higher in the hopes that people take notice of us, that we do enough good things, even use our service to look to have people maybe revere us, to look up at us and be amazed by the things that we have accomplished. And when we are at our worst, we will even trade out some of the core foundational things that should fill our lives as believers for the sake of making our tower a little taller. Let me give you an illustration using the game. So if this tower represents our lives, like any good structure that's built, you have to have a solid what? Foundation, right? And in our lives, our foundation should be those Christian values that scripture lays out for us. Our lives should be marked with patience, with kindness, with love, with self-control, right? Those sorts of things, when we think about humility and we think about peace and perseverance and patience, these should be the things that undergird everything in our lives. And when we're at our worst, what we do is trade some of those things out, weakening our foundation in our lives for the sake of making our tower a little bit taller and hope that we get noticed. Let me give you a few examples that may resonate with you. Let's say that you're a salesperson. 
and, and you've, you, you've got this deal that's in front of you, and if you get this deal done, this is the one that's going to push you over the edge. You're going to be sales rep of the quarter, maybe even sales rep of the year. But there's this term that you've got to agree to with the customer. And it, you know that it's really not the right thing to do. It might be against the policies of the company, but you know, it's just this one time. I've never done it before. And if I trade out a little bit of my integrity, I'll achieve a little bit of success. Or how about if you're a student, right? You, you've, you, you're, you're flying through school and, and you're on track to get a 4.0 or a 4.5 or a 10.0. I don't even know what the scale is anymore. But you're on your way to valedictorian. And you got this one paper to do, and it's just not your sweet spot, and you really don't want to do it, and you found the perfect paper on the internet. I've never done it before, but this one time, if I, the teacher would never know. And, and you sacrifice. If this falls, don't yell Jenga. You sacrifice a little bit of integrity for some accolades. Or how about in our personal lives, in our neighborhoods? You know those neighborhood parties you go to and where the alcohol is served and it's where the in crowd is and you want to make sure you're in that group because that's who your friends, your kids play with their, their friends and you, and you want to be involved in that. And, and you know, you don't typically drink that much but it's fun to kind of be the center of attention every now and then but you trade in a little bit of a little bit of self-control for a little bit of popularity. Let me give you one more. How about for those that have kids in, in sports, travel, baseball, or soccer, and you got that parent, you know that mom? who their son should never sit and should always play that position and always talking and talking and talking and you had enough of it and you're going to put her in your place, her place, so you don't have to listen to it anymore? You know, you trade in a little bit of, little bit of, little bit of one of these things here, a little bit of patience for a little bit of power. And we stack these things one on top of another, hoping that people look at us. And as parents, we really have to be careful because we could even do it with our son's accomplishments, our daughter's accomplishments. Well, my son made the beadling travel soccer team, or my son's on the A team, not the B team. My son or daughter got accepted into this college or got this scholarship, somehow making ourselves more important, more important, more important in the hope that people will look up to us and notice us and notice our accomplishments. And the issue is, is this is an issue of the heart. It's an issue with pride. It's an issue of self. 
is we want people to take notice. And we're not the only people to struggle with this issue. As the kids like to say today, the struggle is real. And this goes all the way back to the beginning of man. And what we want to do is I want to take a look at an account in Genesis chapter 11 to look at how God deals with this issue in our lives. So turn to Genesis chapter 11. As you guys are turning there, what I want to do is to set a little context because it's important. We're going to do a very quick survey of the book of Genesis up to chapter 11. So in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it's known as the creation account, right, where God created everything, the heavens and the earth, the seas, the animals, the plants, and he created man and woman. Everything was perfect. And we see in Genesis chapter 1, the first part of 28, it says that the Lord blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That is what God wanted. And to set them up to do that, God put them in the Garden of Eden, gave them everything they needed to do to follow that command, and he gave them one thing not to do, and that was to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the center of the garden. That's what we see in Genesis 3 where things start to go downhill. They took the fruit, they ate it, and at that point, sin entered the human race and has tainted every heart since then, including yours and mine. But even though they disobeyed God, God in his graciousness sacrificed animals for them to cover their nakedness and place them outside of the garden. Then in Genesis 4, we see this sin play out. They did go and multiply. They had two sons, Cain and Abel. And this pride wells up in Cain as Cain and Abel both made an offering to God. God chose Abel's offering. Cain ends up killing Abel because of it. So we see sin enter the world through Adam and Eve and its, its devastating effects in their very own family as the older son kills the younger. And this continued on down to line to where it got terribly bad. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. This verse just really is, is devastating when you read it. That the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now let me, now Moses here defines great. In that every, not some, every intention of the thoughts, not even the acts, but every intention of every thought of his heart was only evil continually right it was full of corruption the earth was full of violence and God had had enough and he orders a flood to cleanse the earth and again in his graciousness he spares who Noah 
He was righteous. His wife, his kids and their families, he sets them aside. But even though the flood cleanses the earth, it does not cleanse the heart of man. The black stain that we all have. And we see in, in Genesis chapter 8, 21, it said, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. After the flood, we see in Genesis 9, something that looked familiar to Genesis 1, 28. In Genesis 9, 1, he, God looks at Noah and his family and does what? He blesses them and says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He repeats the same commandment to Noah and his family as he did to Adam and Eve. So he's making his desire clear here. I want my creation to be filled. Multiply and fill it. Then in chapter 10, we see that it happens. We see that it happens. Chapter 10 is called the, 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 the Table of Nations. And this is how God gets what he desires through Noah's three sons, Ham, Sheth, I'm sorry, Ham, Seth, and Japheth, as they spread throughout the world. We see in 1031, the next to last verse, it gives the genealogies of the three sons. And it says something similar after each genealogy. These are the uh, sons of Shem by their clans, plural, their languages, plural, their lands, plural, their nations, plural, right? So they're spread. Verse 32, these are the clans, plural, sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations, and from these nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. So God got what he desired, all right? So that sets up chapter 11. So let's turn there and start at verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. All right, time out. We just read... <laughs> In chapter 10, verse 31 and 32, the two preceding verses, there was all plural, nations. So how do we have now one language? See, this is the beautiful narrative art of the book of Genesis. What Moses does here is he gives you the narrative of what happened in chapter 10, then comes over in chapter 11 and gives you an explanation of what happened in chapter 10. You guys with me? Let me give you, let me give you a real life example. Let's say that you have a teenage son and you dare to give him the car. He goes out with his friends, he goes to the park, they hang out, um, he, he comes home at night, he says, Dad, we had a great time. What did you do? Well, we went out. We went to the park. We decided to go down to the regatta. We saw some fireworks. We went to the Pirates game. Last night after the Pirates game, we came back. We ate dessert at Eden Park. We had a great time. Then Tyler picked me up from the auto body shop. We went over his house. 
The car will be done on Wednesday. It was a great time, Dan. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean the car's going to be picked up? Oh, yeah, let me, let me tell you about that. That is what's going on in chapter 11. Let's find out how those people got spread out in their different languages. All right, here we go. Let's start with verse 2. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. All right. So they were told to go and fill the earth. So they start out and they get to this area here that's generally believed in uh, where Babylon is. You can see here's Jordan and Saudi Arabia, Syria, and today's um, that's what these border, I'm colorblind, I'm not sure what the common, board, oh, modern days in red, duh. Um, but what's important here, they settled here, here's why they settled here. If you see this area here, this is called the Fertile Crescent, shaped like a crescent, and it's fertile. So they get to this spot when they're moving out. And they see that it's this, it's beautiful area. The Tigris and the Euphrates River comes down there. So it's a tremendous space to, to, to settle, to plant crops, to support people, to, 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 to start a business. It is just a really good spot to settle. They liked it there, and that's what they did. And look what happens in verse 3. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. All right, this is how the Babylonians built. They, they would make bricks out of mud or clay. And this was hard, back-breaking work. All right, so what I want to do is I want to I want to make a, a very important point right now as we go through this sermon. There is nothing wrong with working hard to be the top sales guy. There is nothing inherently wrong with wanting to have the nicest neighborhood in the yard. There is nothing inherently wrong with wanting to run a successful business. There is nothing inherently wrong with wanting to be the valedictorian. We turn those things into bad things when we do it to make our tower higher instead of doing it in the name of the Lord. So there's nothing inherently wrong with hard work. Remember we talked about the sluggard in Proverbs, right? Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly equipped. But Proverbs goes on to say in verse 16, 3, commit your work to whom? The Lord and your plans will be established. See, there is nothing wrong with hard work. There is nothing wrong with success in and of itself. It's when we do those things for the purpose of rising ourselves higher 
so people will look at us and be amazed at what we did. Maybe even revere us in all the accomplishments that we have stacked one on top of another. That's where we get ourselves in trouble. Now, what were they doing? Look at verse 4. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now clearly this does not appear that they're doing this in God's name, does it? Come let us build ourselves with its top in the heavens. So they're doing this, building this city, building this tower. God told them to fill the earth and they are hunkered down now, gonna build this infrastructure. The city and this tower, and this tower that they built is a ziggurat. And a ziggurat kind of looks like a pyramid, but it's different than a pyramid. And the, the, you'll see the picture up on the screen, and, and there's no insides in a ziggurat. It, the purpose is to, to build this structure with this staircase that leads up to the heavens. And, and the reason they do that, believe this, is, is that not a lot of people think that they're building that to reach God, to work their way to God. It's actually the opposite. They're building this thing so the deities or their God has a way down the steps to the adjacent or temple that's near so that the people can worship their gods or their deities. That somehow their gods or deities have a, a, a need to be worshipped by their people. That's what they were building, this big city and this tower to do that. Well, why were they building it? Well, go back to the text. And let us make a name for, not God, ourselves. We can only speculate what that means, but... Clearly, it indicates a, a prideful endeavor, right? Maybe they wanted to build this massive structure, this city and this tower, so it would attract more people to want to live there. They would have a stronger uh, workforce. There's strength in numbers. There's protection in numbers. Maybe they were doing it to um, uh, like a legacy kind of thing that people can look back for generations and say, man, those people must have been great. Look at what they built, how powerful they may have been. But it clearly was for themselves. They were not working towards God and making him famous. They wanted to make a name for themselves. And then look what it says. The second reason, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. This is exactly contrary to what God told them to do. They liked where they were. They had established their families. They probably established businesses. They had crops. They were able to, to, to feed themselves. They didn't want to go. They were making a name for themselves and they wanted to stay where they were. They knew better than God's plan. So this whole effort 
going on is really a, a, a huge declaration of self in really a complete out defiance in war against God. That's what's going on here. And then how does God deal with that? Look at verses 5 to 7. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the, I love this, the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. They have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Remember when we studied pride in Proverbs? Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before what? Right. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And that is exactly what happens here. See, as impressive as that structure was, no matter how hard they work to build it, no matter how many people would have revered their efforts, it meant nothing to God because it was not what he asked them to do. I love what one commentator says when I was studying for this. He said, this whole endeavor is a tiny tower conceived by a puny plan attempted by pint-sized people. You see, our work in our achievements mean nothing to God if it's not what he has asked us to do. No matter how hard you work, no matter how impressive they are to your coworkers, your friends, and your neighbors, it means nothing. And as you have your tower teeter by pulling out these blocks, hoping that it doesn't fall over and your life collapse by your decisions. But that's what we risk when we sacrifice the foundation of who we are as believers in Jesus Christ in an effort to make a name for ourselves. Look at Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. 
no matter how hard we work, no matter how impressive our towers are to those around us, when we do it outside of God's will, he sits in heaven and laughs at us and holds us in derision. Verse eight, look how the Lord responds. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. I love this point because God's response was not only punitive for their disobedience, but I believe it was also preventative. Because if you go back and look at what he says in verse five, he said this is just the beginning of what they will do. See, God knew that if he left man together, united, spatially, united by language, that there was nothing, verse five also says that what? That they couldn't accomplish. So man would rely on each other, working in numbers and common language to do anything that they wanted to do. So again, in God's graciousness, he confused their language and he spread them throughout the earth. So that they cannot rely on each other, but they can rely on whom? Him. That if they were gonna accomplish anything, it was gonna be through the Lord's power, not the power of living together spatially and living together united by a single language. And let's close the story by looking at verse nine. Therefore the name, therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. Right, and this little bit of irony in the story, the, the name Babylon, or, or in the Babylon language is Babili, B-A-B-I-L-L-I. And it literally means in Babylonian literature, the gate of God. But the word in Hebrew sounds very much like the word for confusion. And so Babylon to this day, the physical location in this story, serves as a, for, a reminder forever of man's futile attempts, wasted attempts at building towers to themselves instead of working to bring him honor and glory. So the question that we have this morning is are you a tower builder? Where in your life are you susceptible to trying to make a name for yourself by stacking your accomplishments one on top of the other? Is it your career or your professional endeavors? Is it your education? 
Is it your family? Is it your faith walk? Where are you susceptible to wanting, desiring, fueled by a prideful heart to make a name for yourself and not for God? As you ponder that for a second, I want to share an extreme example of this. This article was written in uh, uh, the Arizona Republic in, in the mid-1980s, 1986, about this guy. His name's Gordon Hall. Listen to what, how he tried to build a tower for his namesake. Gordon Hall stands in an overlook on his 55,000 square foot mansion in Paradise Valley, a structure built by Pittsburgh industrialist Walter McCune, and now owned and being renovated by Hall. He is 32 years old and a millionaire many times over. He is worth more than $100 million, he said, because he promised himself he would be a millionaire by the age of 33. He has other goals. By the time he is 38, he will be a billionaire. By the time his earthly body expires, and oh, by the way, he's convinced he'll be, live to be 120 years old, he will assume what he believes is his just heavenly reward. Gordon Hall will be a god. Gordon says, we have all existed as intelligences, as spirits. We are down here to gain a body. As man is now, God once was. And as God is now, man can become. If you believe it, then your genetic makeup is to be a God. And I believe it is. That is why I believe I can do anything. My genetic makeup is to be a God. It even makes me uncomfortable to read it saying me. My God in heaven creates worlds and universes. I believe I can do anything too. Well, Mr. Hall's tower came crumbling down. He was caught in a $93 million tax scheme. He was arrested in South Carolina in a Ponzi scheme. And he's sentenced to be in prison until 2038, the exact year he said he would be a billionaire. Gordon Hall was working to make a name for himself. The same pride, the same tainted heart that started with Adam and Eve, through Cain and Abel, through Noah and his sons and his family, all the way to us. We all wrestle with this issue in our lives. The question is, is where are you susceptible? And if you're not sure that you do, what I want to do is to give you seven warning signs that you may be a tower builder. 
This is not an exhaustive list. There's many more than this, but let me give you these seven signs to do a little inventory. All right, sign number one, that you may be a tower builder. Most of your talking is about yourself. You love the conversation centered on yourself. You always have a story to one-up the last one you just heard from one of your friends or coworkers or family members. But Proverbs 27, 2 tells us, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Warning sign number two, you may be a tower builder. You talk too much. Proud people often talk a lot because they believe they have to, what they have to say is more important than what others have to say. But Proverbs 10, 19 says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Warning sign number three, you have difficulty handling criticism. Tower builders even have a hard time handling constructive criticism because they have a tough time accepting who they really are. Proverbs 13, 1, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Warning sign number four, you may have difficulty admitting that you're wrong. It's not uncommon for you to offer an excuse for your behavior because I am sorry is a little bit too hard to speak. But Proverbs 10, 17, whoever heeds instructions on a path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Warning sign number five, you're not very teachable. See, a tower builder knows it all. They struggle to learn anything from anyone else. But Proverbs tells us, 1920, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Warning sign number six, that you may be a tower builder. You are consumed by what others think. A tower builder makes decisions based on what other people think. And they're continually looking for approval from others and seeking esteem from other people. But Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 1, verse 10, for I am now seeking, for now, for am I now seeking approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And the last warning sign that you may be a tower builder, you have an inflated view of your importance, your gifts, or your abilities. See, tower builders have a strong perception of themselves and they be, need to be reminded on where that success comes from. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you've received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? See, these are just seven ways of helping you identify and make a connection to the story. I believe we're all susceptible in this area. 
of building ourselves up for our own sake. Working really hard at really good stuff, but sometimes for the wrong reasons. And because I think it's a, an area that affects all of our lives, I want to offer you two truths in God's word to remedy this issue in our lives. And it really applies to any sin issue in our lives. Is first, we've got to repent and tear down our towers to ourselves. That's where it has to start. We have to go before God and say, I am sorry. I am sorry that I am building my life and these successes and stacking them up for me and not for you. And God's promises are real. We see it in 1 John 1, 9, that if we go to him and repent and confess that God is what? Faithful and just. And he will forgive us, will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have to start in a posture of, I am sorry. Help me tear down these things in my life. Work hard for your name, not my name. And then secondly, I want to assure you with this. No matter how long you've been building your tower, no matter what you've made it out of, no matter how tall that it is, be assured that God loves you no matter what. He knows your heart. He knows every hair on your head. And regardless of where you've been and how long you've been doing this, that our Lord and Savior says, come back to me. It's okay. And that's where we get the courage to stop building for me and start building for him. Knowing that confidently he loves us no matter what. And we see this in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he, would, he who began good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. That's the assurance that we have. So my challenge to you this morning is to honestly reflect where you're susceptible in this part of your life and making your name higher in your work, in your school, in your community. And how can you do that for Jesus instead? And that we know no matter how far away we are, no matter how hard we've worked at building our own stuff up, that he's waiting for us to return to him. No matter what. Amen? Dear Father, we thank you for this story that is that's, that's so true and relevant in our lives today. And Father, our desire is to 
is to, is to stop working for me and to work for you, to work as harder, even harder, to make Jesus known in our schools, in our communities, in our workplaces. Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've built a tower to myself. Give me the courage to build for you. And I know I can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And thank you for accepting me no matter what. It's in your son's holy and precious name that I pray. Amen.